And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the U ain't no bark, dude, straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast, I'm your host, Manny Navarro, beat writer for the Miami Hurricanes for The Athletic, and uh... The Canes are now 5-1 as they head into their bye week. They pulled off a 19-14 victory over the Virginia Cavaliers. They're 12th in the AP poll. Mike Zimmerman, my producer, is on with me for this episode again. And, Mike, I, I know you expect more from this program. Your standards are high because, you know, they are a five-time national championship winning program. How do you feel going into the bye week? I mean, I, I, I'm confused. I mean, I, I was kind of talking to you during the game. You know, I tweeted at you just saying, I don't I don't know what to think of this program. And I had said I, I was going to sleep on it and have some thoughts on Sunday morning. But even at that point, when I woke up Sunday, I still wasn't sure. I I took yesterday, to since we're recording on Monday, I took yesterday, Sunday to, to kind of, I, I guess, give myself a little overview. And this is what I came up with. And I think all of these things are allowed to be true, right? I guess we'll get this out of the way and then kind of dissect all the all these different things. Is it progress that Miami's five and one? Absolutely. The these games, especially the one against Virginia, would have been a game they would have lost last year, right? I, I think there's no doubt and we agree both that and the Pittsburgh game those are the types of games Miami would have lost last year. So is that progress? Absolutely. And if you asked any Canes fan for the season, you'd be 5-1 and one going into your second bye week. Everybody would take it because they would assume that one loss was against Clemson. With that being said, have I been impressed since the Florida State game? No, not, not really. Um, has the offense really struggled of late? Yes, absolutely. Um... The defense has been up and down. Uh, for the most part, they've they've come through. They've really um, come up big when it mattered, especially in the red zone, uh, only allowing field goal attempts or, or coming up with with some turnovers. But you but you look at a team like Virginia. Virginia gave up the, their last three games before the Miami game, forty one to Clemson, which you can any game against Clemson you can throw out out the window because those. Those will skew stats. After that, they gave up 38 points to NC State and 40 to Wake Forest. And Miami could only manage 19. Not only that, though, but De'Ara King's performances have been very erratic, up and down, threw for over 300 yards against Virginia, yes. But then the offense as a whole couldn't really run the ball. So it's like one week they're able to run the ball, can't throw the ball. Then the next week they're able to throw the ball and can't run the ball. And I'm just, I'm getting mixed signals everywhere. I don't know where you want to start with everything I just said because I was bouncing <laughs> off the walls. But yes. 
is is it is it fair to say all those things can be true at once? You know, I, I don't I know last week I, I was getting a lot of people on Twitter saying how I was overreacting and and it takes time to build and, and grow a program and I and I completely agree. It's just we have really haven't seen consistent growth outside of the results, which at the end of the day it's all that matters. But there really hasn't been this player's getting better or, or this part of the offense or defense is really getting better and this is going to be the strong point of the team moving forward and we're going to build off of this. Are all those things allowed to be true and is that a fair assessment? Yeah, you know, Mike, it's really a complicated question to answer. But I, I think first and foremost, one thing we all have to acknowledge is that this is a strange year for a lot of different reasons, right? COVID included. And you got to think that Everybody was affected by the fact that they weren't able to have spring practice outside of four quick practices that didn't really include a whole lot of tackling. So that stunted a lot of, I think, player growth and development. Then you go into the summer and it isn't until June or July that you can start working out again. So you end up starting this football season. You're getting tested three times a week. This week they had five freshmen that were essentially kept out for COVID reasons, whether they tested positive or contact tracing. It feels like I, – I, I don't, you know how we put an asterisk next to things, right, because of the bubble, right, in the NBA and say, well, those results, who knows? I think you kind of have to do the same thing with college football this year. I think in general you just have to look at it and say if you can somehow get through and, and, and win the games that you're supposed to, it doesn't matter stylistically how good it looks because you're, you're playing at a disadvantage. You're, you're starting this season at a disadvantage for a lot of different reasons. And I think – if you were to ask most people, hey, you're five and one and your only loss is to number one Clemson at the bye, at this bye week marker, I think most Miami fans would be would be happy with that. I think I think yeah, I, th hap I think every Miami fan would be happy with that, right? Right. I, I, they would. Yeah. And I think and, and I'll put it this way, what if what if the schedule had been reversed, right? What if the start of the season with the loss to Clemson? Like it's just a matter of when you play the game. Well, no, I, like, I, so I agree with that, Manny. But I would also say if it were reversed and the performances were reversed, where the UAB, Louisville, and Florida State games were the last three, I think people would be able to say there's some progress. It, it's trending upward. Whereas, whereas now it's, I, I wouldn't say it's trending down, but it's kind of hit a plateau where it, we're just getting by. Is that well, is can that we, can, fair? Can we can we acknowledge one thing though? Can we acknowledge the fact that these three opponents are tougher than maybe the first three? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I, I think that's another aspect of it that has to be sort of acknowledged that Virginia, Pittsburgh, and Clemson all have better defenses than the first three teams that Miami faced. And I think I think you have to acknowledge that. Um, the other thing I would acknowledge is I think a lot of the surprise of Rhett Lashley's offense, okay, that, that maybe they were hitting teams with the first couple of weeks, it's old hat now. Clemson kind of put out the book on how to stop Miami. It's it's not a very deep playbook. In fact, the zone read, I mean, it's, it's pretty much on the offensive line to create holes with what they can. And and then for De'Eric King, who has not run apparently a lot of zone read in his career, according to Rhett Lashley, um, and then the running backs to make to make it happen, and so what, what what's happened the last three weeks is the running game's been shut down. Well, and I, mean, I, really and, I and I think we we've kind of talked about this. Opposing defenses are making Miami beat them in the air because they know they right. they really don't have the receivers to get that done. 
uh, Will Mallory and Brevin Jordan are, have really been inconsistent. We, we know how much talent they have, but whether it's them or the, uh, or the scheme being able to get them the ball hasn't really been consistent. So if you're an opposing defense, they're making Miami beat them in the air, and, and it's been a struggle. Correct. It, it has, and I, and I think, look, like to me, we have to stop measuring this team against the great teams because the road back to that is is a long road. Like they were so far off being the old Miami um, that that I think we've sort of forgotten because of that ten and zero season. It, I mean, just erase erase that ten and zero start, erase that ten and zero start from twenty seventeen, and, and and say they shouldn't have been ten and zero. They should have probably been eight and two, and then finished eight and five that season. Like, it, just look back at what the last 16, 17 years have been, and say that is what you should be measuring against. Can you get over that mediocrity? And if you look at it from that perspective, which you said earlier, they wouldn't have won this game last year against Virginia. Then they are ahead of the curve. They're not all the way where you want them to be, Mike. But it takes a way to get there, and and it's not going to be fast. Uh, I think the recruiting on this team for some time now has not been as good as it's needed to be depth has been an issue Mike Harley should not be your number one receiver he shouldn't all of a sudden be the guy that you're counting on to go for 10 catches and 170 yards and a touchdown there were other guys who were supposed to be here to fill those roles and they didn't work out and when they don't work out you got to dip into the transfer portal and get a KJ Osborne you got to you know, look look for a Jared Williams at right tackle. That that's what's happened. There's been a lot of recruiting disasters uh, here for a long time, and Manny Diaz is playing catch up, and 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 it takes a while to get there, to get to where Clemson is. And I don't care what the recruiting rankings say of this guy's top ten and this guy's top fifteen and this guy's top twenty. We all know that the truth is there's four or five teams in this country every year who get all of the talent. They get all the five stars and all the four. It's the same four or five teams every single year. So if you're not in that group where you where you've got oodles and oodles of depth of 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 of, of high school stars and potentially future NFL guys, then you're just an average team, and that's what Miami has been, and they're trying to uh, to rise above that average level. And you know, just you look at the, the the number of players who have left this program, who have gone out. Um, you know, Cam Harris after the game. I don't know if you saw this, but Cam Harris apparently tweeted out that he was. Uh, disgusted or or kind of like offended <laughs> that he didn't get more opportunities to run the football. And this is your lead running back. This is the guy who's supposed to be the leader in your clubhouse. He, he had eight eight yards on eight carries on Saturday, and the freshman took over in the second half. I still think you're battling those issues those issues internally. You're still trying to prove to people that your locker room is a hundred percent bought into this. And and I think it's just a different level of kid at Miami now. You know, I think everybody's looking out for themselves. You know, you have you have the right quarterback now who's leading things, but I, I still think there's a lot of selfishness. And, and you know, that that's the difficult thing to get over. What Clemson has, what Alabama has, what Ohio State has, like th- those are special teams. I, I, and, and I would also say this to that point, Manny, at those programs, they might be selfish and we don't know that. But they're talented enough to get away with being selfish. Is that is is that a fair assessment? That that that's absolutely correct. And and I would also say that um, they're talented enough where everybody has to be pushed, right? Where everybody can be pushed every day in practice. I still think there are positions on this team where receiver is sort of the perfect example. Mike Harley said it after the game. You know, uh, we weren't 
trying as hard as we needed to. I mean, I, the I, fact that you're still hearing that after a post game uh, press conference at Miami shows you that it's still a long way to go. I was going to bring that up to you, Manny. Mike Harley's comments almost like this past week was the first time they've stayed after practice to to catch balls. That that was shocking to me. I mean, I I don't know how you feel about that, but. Listen, you, you don't want to say everybody should work harder than everybody. You know what I mean? It's, it's the typical narratives that saying you don't want it enough. But maybe after the first week when you realized all the receivers were struggling, you're like, hey, you know, we need to put in some extra work. And the fact that it took them even a couple weeks, I, I guess, just it, it, it really shocked me that it took them this long to realize, hey, you know, we need to put in extra work. Well, let me ask you something, Mike. Um, it, it, let's turn it to what we do for a living, mm-hmm. right? If we feel like there's somebody coming up behind us that could potentially replace us, mm-hmm. are you going to work harder? Are you naturally going to sort of focus on it and say, I, I've really got to do a good job with this? If you don't have that guy, might you take a step back every now and then and take a breath and say, well, I don't have anybody really pushing me here. This is what the level of expectations are. I think, I think when Manny Diaz says those kind of things and he talks about having people push the other guys in practice, he's absolutely right. And let's face it, this this crop of receivers after D. Wiggins and Mike Harley and Mark Pope, I mean, they're all freshmen. They're all guys that really haven't done anything yet and haven't proven to the coaching staff that they deserve to play more, well, so, right? I mean, they've shown flashes, mm-hmm. but not to the point where Mike Harley and those guys obviously felt like, well, hell, we better show up. And, 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 and the fact that the coaches had to sort of publicly, you know, make a display like, hey, on the depth chart that we're giving to the media, it says or for all of you guys. But like, okay, it, it's so it's, so then so then all right, we'll, we'll take problem by problem here. We're, you know, we've kind of shifted into into the wide receiver depth because it's kind of transitioned from the culture of of, mm-hmm. you know, being complacent. Whose fault is that then? Is it I, I think you can kind of place blame both on the receivers for not working hard enough and continuing to push each other. And I think you can also put some blame, not all, but some on the coaching staff who recruited these receivers who are just not good enough now, these freshman receivers to even push the, these uh, junior and senior receivers. Right. I, I, I think right, that but- if you were recruiting at least maybe better in the wide receiver position, you would have freshmen who would maybe have either pushed them or had an opportunity to start right away. Well, let's not forget something here. These are facts. Okay. Uh, Rob Likens didn't become the receivers coach till January, mm-hmm. right? Um, Rhett Lashley didn't become the offensive coordinator till January. Um, you're still having to replace coaches on the staff. Same thing with Garen Justice. Like those guys have not recruited at those positions yet. Like they, they scrambled to put together a, a, a receiver class this last year. Dana Stubblefield did. He had some guys who were commitments, but again, those aren't Rob Likens guys. Those aren't. And so, and I would tell you, none of those guys uh, were elite four or five star talents. I mean, does Alan Worsham really fell off? He was an Alabama commitment at a certain point. And he really fell off. He's not even in the rotation. Xavier Restrepo was like a handpicked guy that Manny Diaz liked, who's more of a, a three star, you know, maybe when he's a junior or senior, he plays a much bigger role. Uh, Keyshawn Smith, I mean, he was going to Washington State. It's not like he was going to freaking Oregon. He was going to Washington State. Okay. Um, who else is in this class? Uh, Michael Redding is the one guy that 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 was sort of hyped. He didn't catch a ton of balls at IMG Academy. So, and then you had Jeremiah Payton, who okay, he was doing great on the scout team last year, but it's still a scout team. He he didn't he wasn't good enough last year to crack the rotation. Uh, so, 
you're going to have situations like that where certain positions, it just takes time. I mean, go to go to Ohio State's roster and their depth chart. Go to Clemson's depth chart. Go to Alabama's depth chart. Are there freshmen playing? Yeah, maybe. Maybe at a couple spots. And they're rotational players. They're not guys that you count on. The guys that you count on are, are, are redshirt sophomores and juniors, guys who are going to be drafted. And, and that's how you win in this league. You, you don't depend on um, – freshmen to come in and push the guys in front of them like they're there to help and to add uh, you know something to the roster but you should be winning with juniors and seniors and that's what those programs have they have guys that have been playing at a high level for two or three years and are now in roles where the expectations are met because they've been at it for a couple of years Miami hasn't had it there's been such a, I mean that's why they've had to go to the transfer portal so many guys have left this program Mike I mean it's just you look at the receivers in the, in, the, in a couple years ago that they signed, guys that left, uh, Marquez Ezard, who, who ended up going to Georgia Tech, uh, Brian Hightower, who, who left the program. I mean, there, it's a position that, I mean, all over the field where they've lost guys left and right or guys just haven't panned out and they've been done. So they're paying for their recruiting sins, their recruiting failures. That's what this all comes down to in my mind. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, so there's a lot of negativity that either I just put out there or that we, that we've kind of been talking about. <laughs> let's, I guess, let's get into what have we seen on the field, right? That has given you maybe, hey, Miami can build on this, or they've gotten better at this. This seems to be going in the right direction. What what can we well, say? Let's just let's go over the facts. I can give you the facts. I mean, they're scoring a touchdown more a game. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're averaging close to 33 points. They average little shade under 26 last year. Um, They are averaging about 50 yards more on offense. They're converting at 43%, almost 44% on third down. Last year, they were next to last in the country. They were were 129th converting at 27% on third down. Their red zone touchdown percentage is up over 60%. Last year was at 53%. Um, They're running. They were 120th in rushing last season. They're hundred. Uh, they're forty eighth now, averaging close to one hundred and seventy a game, even with the struggles uh, of Cam Harris of late. Um, you know the, the the plays on the ground game. They're averaging. You know they're averaging. I think over close to six yards, uh, or six carries of over ten yards per game. Last year they were averaging four. So they're breaking. They're breaking off bigger chunk plays. Uh, they're giving up fewer sacks. They are giving up fewer pressures. Um, Obviously, I feel like they're getting better quarterback play from Derrick King. So they've improved in a lot of areas. Um, 
And then defensively, they've gotten better on third down. And then in terms of scoring, they're giving up two more points a game than they were last year, about 90, actually 80 more yards per game, which a lot of that is run defense, okay, where they've slipped. Um, but they're still very good on third down. They're still very good at creating tackles for loss, even though this last game they only had two. Um, so, I, look, I think they're kind of the same on defense, except that linebacker, where the, that's where the real struggle is. And I think offensively, they've improved in a lot of areas. They're just still not Clemson. They're just still not the best in the country. Um, if you want to go position by position, we can. We can talk about De'Ara King uh, and some of his Im- improvements. Um, first of all, through the first five games of the year, he'd only completed six of his uh, 20 deep throws downfield, 20, 20, thro- uh, you know, 20 yards downfield or longer. Uh, he, he completed six more against Virginia in this past game. Okay, so you, first five games, six completions of 20 yards or more. And then against Virginia, six completions of 20 yards or more. Um, so he's getting better at that. Um, I think he, he leads the team in carries right now. He's run for over 300 yards. So he's he's in, he's involved. He's active in, in the running game. He's not always doing the, the, the right decision making, but certainly um, I think he's doing he's doing a, a fair job of that. Um, what, what's your thoughts on Derek? I think he's being asked to do more than than he should be asked to do. And I think that's in part of the inability to to expand the offense. Defenses have made Miami one-dimensional and it's kind of put all the the responsibilities on him. He's been forced to do everything. If he can't make a play, the offense isn't, isn't going to go. So it's so it's so hard to judge his performance. We've seen when he hasn't been asked to to carry the entire offense, when they've been able to run the ball and open up the playbook. The Eric King has been fantastic. He's been great throwing the ball, been great running the ball, but when he's forced to stay in the pocket and throw the ball to these receivers who we were just saying are not very good at this moment, it's so hard to judge him. So I think it's it's kind of unfair to to say whether he's done a good job or a bad job because he's been so limited in what he's been allowed to do. Fair point. Um, I will say this. I think the offensive line has improved in one area. I think the offensive tackle play is better. I think Zion Nelson is playing a lot better than he did last year when he was among the worst in the country um, in fact, if you if you look at um, you know who gave up the five sacks because Miami did give up uh, five sacks last week, three of them were on uh, De'Eric King uh, f- again for holding on to the ball too long, and it's kind of been the story of the season with with in terms of the sacks. Um, he's he's been the guy uh, responsible of the sixteen sacks. It says here, according to Pro Football Focus, six of them are on him. So the other ten have been on the offensive line. Uh, actually, on the offensive line, the running backs. Don Chaney's been credited for for giving up two sacks, um, but Zion Nelson he, he's given up one sack all season. He's given up three pressures, and if you look at you know where he sort of ranks among the offensive linemen in the ACC in terms of the overall grade, um, both he and Jared Williams have respectable grades. Like they're in the mid sixties, which last year everybody was under sixty, which is kind of the average marker for PFF grade. So um, I think the offensive tackle play has been better. Um, obviously, the interior of the offensive line, being able to run the ball, um, Ja'Kai Clark, DJ Scaife, uh, Corey Gaynor, at times they've been good, at times they've been bad. Um, and I, I feel like very- offensive line is a position where you can't afford to have up and down performances, right? That's the one position you kind of right. need consistency. 
I think what we've seen the last two games or three games is that those guys still physically aren't going to win. You know, if they're if they're going up against a Clemson or a Pittsburgh or even some of the huge guys that Virginia has up front, they can get manhandled. They can, in the sense of, you know, they're going to get pushed backwards. Now, are there times they can create openings? Yes. I think the second half of the last couple games, if you look back to the Pittsburgh game, that long drive that they had, they were able to run the football in the fourth quarter. Same thing uh, against Virginia. They were able to run the ball better. You saw Don Chaney Jr. and Jalen Knighton move the chains a couple times with some tough runs. So to me, there are signs of improvement there. Um, and I think if you were to go back and say, would you trade the 2019 offensive line for the 2020 offensive line, you would do it in a heartbeat because it's just so much better uh, from what last year was. Now, last year was abysmal. But I think now, and I said this last week on the pod, I really think they are average. They are an average offensive line, which is all you wanted after how horrible they were last year. Do you agree with that? Would you call them average? Would you call them still below average? What's your feeling about them? I think they're inconsistently average. I think at best that we've seen them, they've been average, right? But mm-hmm. their down performances, they've been pretty bad. Now, now even their down performances this year haven't been as bad as last year. Like you said, when, you, when you're at rock bottom last year, the only way to go is up, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. be as bad, especially with the additions and another year of of playing time and I just I just think like I said before offensive line is the one position where you can't afford to have inconsistent performances especially when you look at where you were last year I I think I think there really wasn't there's not enough room and, and leeway to get away with it you're you're not an elite offensive line where if you have a down performance you're still above average and and can can move the ball with 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 a lot of ease Miami's just not there and I think when they have had good performances they've been average and it's allowed Miami to at least move the ball effectively but either a not for an entire game or b not an entire drive I I agree um and again, but it's a progress. It's a, it's a state of progress. Like you have to take some baby steps. And I think getting Devon Donaldson back at some point before the end of this year is going to help. You can instead of having to po- depend on a Jakai Clark for eighty three snaps. Because by the way, the the offensive line played the entire game. There was no backups who got in the game other than I think Jalen Rivers who got like two snaps. Um, essentially, you you need you need to add a little bit more depth, especially in the interior. And Jalen Rivers, who I mentioned, the freshman offensive lineman who was a four-star kid, the coaches talked about it today, both Manny Diaz and Rhett Lashley, that he's getting better. They're starting to see the improvement. And again, and I think had they had an entire spring and they had an entire summer and there was no COVID, Jalen Rivers would probably be playing already. He'd be part of that mix. But it's taken him a few games to sort of adjust to college, add the right kind of weight, you know, all those kind of things that, that go into this to, to these guys being optimal players, it, it, it takes some time. And and I think once you get Navon Donaldson back, both of those guys, it, it could definitely help Miami here down the stretch from an offensive line perspective. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, let's, let's move on to defense because we spent a lot of time talking about offense. Um, I mentioned earlier they've improved on third downs. Um, Hold on, but mentioned- before, before we even get into yeah. that, Amari Carter, what, like, what are we doing oh. here? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just uh, let's get that out of the way real quick because it's like is there I I don't know whether he's just not practicing how to do that mm-hmm. or doesn't know the rule. Um, it's just it feels like it's every game now, right? Well, he's been flagged for it in four of the six games, and he's been ejected for it twice. Just okay. this season, right? Just this season. I was gonna say we, we've seen it his entire career. Well. Yeah. Yeah, he he has been he's gotten flagged for it I think six times and been ejected for it okay. four times total. So, um, you know, Blake Baker. You know what? I'm going to give you a sound clip to play Blake Baker to insert here. Okay. Um, because Baker did address that today, the defensive coordinator, and Manny Diaz did as well. Yeah, it's definitely something we we continue to address. Um, you know, you can still be physical without targeting, and like I say every week, I think some are malicious and some aren't. Uh, you know, the young man from Virginia was not very tall in the first place, and then he ducked. I think really the only thing Amari could have done differently is is lift his head, raise his uh, eyes, you know, and, and maybe that doesn't get called as, as targeting. But, no, Gary, it's something every single week. We, we You know, it hurts. It obviously hurts the player. Um, you know, he's got to miss, miss the remainder of the game, and then it hurts the team. You know, puts us in a bind as well. So, Something we'll continue to harp uh, upon. I know Coach Banda does a drill every single week where we, you know, really talk about tackling low, and and uh, we just got to continue to harp on it. I mean, look, uh, I, I think it's just at this point for Amari, it's almost like I don't know if you if you can pull him out and just and just take him out for a couple of weeks and just try to work with him on mentally realizing, hey, you got to play this game differently because you, you've kind of got a mark on your back. People are looking for you to be called for this. But they, they've got to do something with him. Um, it, it's really been um, a frustrating point for Miami and their coaching staff because I think they feel like he's learning and, and has the right intentions. Like he's done the, He's been taught the right way and he's learned the right way. And whether it's bad luck or it's just officials looking for him, I, or, I almost think it's know. just the instincts kick in when when you, when, it, right. when he needs to make a split second decision. It goes back to his instincts, and we've seen his instincts is deliver the big blow, right? Whatever that takes. Mm-hmm. And in now in today's game, you're not going to get away with that, right? You're you're just not. And and I think you know at this point, you know the coaching staff is going to need a guy like Gervin Hall. And, and Bubba Bolden and potentially Gilbert Frierson, who, you know, was a safety in, in high school, to have to play more there. You know, um, that's what happened against Virginia. Gervin Hall was really badly injured his ankle, I think, in the first half and basically toughed it out and, and played the second half in spurts with Gilbert Frierson to try to make things work. But, you know, and, and that was because Brian Balaam, the, the true freshman who had played, um, was one of the five guys that was out. So... 
Yeah, I mean, safety, it's a good thing that Miami has a bye week this week because I'm not sure what would have happened. I don't, I don't know if Gervin Hall would have actually been able to play or if they would have had to transition Gilbert Fireson out there. But now that they've got an extra week between Amari Carter being sort of a head case with the targeting and Gervin Hall's ankle and Balaam with, with, with the COVID you know, contact tracing, whatever it is, um, yeah, it would have been Bubba Bold and, and, and a patch job out there. So, um, But that's that. Um, what else you got for me on defense? I, I don't want to ignore anything important. Yeah, I'm uh, glad you threw the Amari Cartier at me. I, I, I guess it's probably the same question we've kind of been talking about the past couple of weeks is, is the linebacker position. It's very inexperienced. Right. Uh, we haven't seen much to say these are the best three linebackers. They, they should be starting every single game. It's kind of been a rotation between inexperienced guys and young guys, whether it's, you know, You've got Bradley Jennings Jr., you've got Sam Brooks, you have Huff. There's just a big rotation, and we don't know who the best ones are, and we really haven't seen a lot of development you know, throughout this season. Well, I wrote about this uh, in The Athletic last week, but the grade-wise, um, you know, Zach McLeod, Sam Brooks Jr., and Bradley Jennings have been you know, literally among the three or four worst in the ACC, according to Pro Football Focus. And a lot of it has been what they do in coverage. Um, it, it's been tackling. Um, it, it's been, you know, kind of a myriad of issues. Um, I think pass rush, McLeod actually grades out well. Um, but in everywhere else, it's, it's kind of just been a disaster. This last game, they basically, I mean, if you look at the snap counts, McLeod, McLeod played 46 snaps. Brooks uh, played 25. Um, Bradley Jennings played 51 and Wayman Steed played 20. The guy that everybody's excited about is Corey Flagg. And, and, of course, he was one of the five guys that missed the game because of uh, the COVID, uh, you know, issue that the team is dealing with. So, um, I think eventually after the bye week, you could see Bradley Jennings um, lose more work to um, Corey Flag because the coaching staff going into the game was very high on Corey. Um, but again, it, you know, they need to get better play. Sam Brooks Jr. is a guy who is not a natural linebacker. He was an outside rush end in high school. This is his second year in the system. Um, there are times when Sam Brooks Jr. impresses the hell out of you because he's got the kind of speed you want at that position, sideline to sideline. And then there are times when he's just not in the right place. And Blake Baker talked about it today. Uh, uh, you know, I asked him about the run defense, and he said there's several glaring issues, you know, that now that they're entering the bye week that they feel like they can address as they sit down and, and break down film. So for Miami's case, I'm hoping that, um, you know, this bye week comes at a good time and, and that they're able to figure things out because run, run defense-wise, they really have fallen off pretty drastically. I think last year, uh, I, ha I have all the research and numbers here, uh, last year they ranked 17th in the country in run defense. They were giving up 114 yards per game. Now they're up to 49th. 150 yards per game and the thing is uh a lot of the teams left on their schedule can run the football uh virginia tech's fourth in the country averaging 290 yards per game north carolina's 12th 249 yards per game wake forest is averaging uh 179 yards georgia tech's averaging 180 so you're going to need your run defense to to play better here down the stretch if you're going to win yeah, I completely agree. And I think especially with the linebacking core being the backbone of the defense, it, it, it needs to step up. And and look, the defensive line at times, you know, you talk about we're at the midseason point. I think you know, you can sort of take a big picture look of who's who's really done well for Miami and who hasn't. Um, you know, I, I think the defensive line's been very good um most of the season. And we expected that. We expected the defensive line to sort of carry the team early on. 
Um, Quincy Roche has been great. Uh, him and Jalen Phillips are the two highly, two highest graded players on the defensive line um, in terms of uh, what PFF thinks of them. So, uh, Nesta Silvera is really third. Jared Harrison Hunt is fourth. That tells you what the strength of this team is. Those are the top four guys in terms of uh, you know guys who are regular parts of the rotation. And then it, here's another telling stat. Corey Flagg is fifth. You know, the freshman linebacker I was just telling you about. Uh, him and him and Gilbert Frierson and Takori Couch is kind of the order. Um, so Miami's going to need better better linebacker play. And then I would even say, you know, safety play. Bubba Bolden has had moments where he's looked really, really good. He obviously had the two um, blocked field goals at Clemson, and he was the ACC Player of the Week two times. But, you know, even t- today, Blake Baker said it. There are things that they can do better. I think there's times when they're making, uh, you know, too many missed tackles. Bubba Bolden actually leads the team with nine missed tackles this season. Um, you know, Gervin Hall is next. He's got seven missed tackles. So, you know, those are your two safeties. Those That's the last line of defense. You need those guys to to be a little bit more consistent here over the final stretch. And then at cornerback, um, Al Blades Jr., you know, I thought he'd been playing a really good game against Virginia, and then he has probably the worst defensive lapse of anybody this season where he just lets the receiver get behind him for an easy touchdown. All of a sudden, 19-7 turns to 19-14, and you're sweating out sort of the last five minutes of the game on a night where your offense hasn't really been able to to run the football the way you want to. So I think Al can be better. Certainly DJ Ivey can be better. Um, Some of those guys in the secondary, they've given up some – some big plays and some yards down the field. I think uh, that's that's another aspect you want to see improve here over the second half. Yeah, I think you covered it. I think the defensive line is the one that's, I guess, the one stable unit on the defense that gives everybody mm-hmm. else an opportunity to make plays. Uh, I would say especially for the secondary and at corner where it's been inconsistent and, and they've often struggled outside of uh, outside of Albays Jr. The cornerback position has, has struggled uh, quite a bit, and I think the defensive line has allowed them to to have shorter coverages and not have to hold on to the receivers for for a long period of time. And and I think that if if the defensive line doesn't get pressure or or, or cause disruption, I think that means that the rest of the defense is is going to struggle as well because they're they're so used to not having to do a lot because of the defensive line. Where if they are left to make a play. We haven't seen that they've proven they've been able to do that. I agree. Um, look, somebody asked me, I was on uh, WSVN last night uh, doing sort of a, a midseason report for, for, for the local station here and uh, local Fox station. And they asked me, what do you think is going to happen here over the last five games of the season? Can Miami get to the ACC championship game? And I was brutally honest with them. I said, no, I, I think they're going to lose – two at least two out of the, the last five games because I think there's still a lot of areas where uh, you know we just talked about it you know linebacker receiver offensive line where we knew coming into the season that it was iffy and I think while I like the fact that this team is winning games that they're not so you know or wouldn't win in the past I still feel like you know Virginia Tech North Carolina certainly Wake Forest, having to go on the road. Those are the three toughest games for Miami. And having to go on the road for Wake Forest, who just beat Virginia Tech, and then go into Blacksburg, I think Miami's going to lose one of those two games. And then as far as North Carolina is concerned, 
I, I would take North Carolina's team right now over this Miami team based on what they have offensively. I think there's just more weapons, and their defense isn't as bad. I know they had a rough half against Florida State, and you say, man, they, they, they played terrible, but had they not dug themselves such a huge hole, they would have won that game, and they'd still be undefeated. And I still think right now, based on what they've got in the backfield, the consistency that they have with their running game, that's a, that's a huge advantage over the Hurricanes. And so I... You know, I think Miami's going to finish eight and three. Mike, what's your feeling? What do you What do you think is going to happen here over the second half? I, I think I, I'm along the same uh, line of thinking as you. Um, I I guess my only reservation is that I don't. Know, we've seen them the past two weeks have some close calls, maybe more so against Virginia than, than Pittsburgh, but we haven't seen some good performances, and we, we've mentioned that. Those are the type of games that last year's Miami team would have lost. I'm worried that we're going to see one or two, maybe even three times with the remaining five games that not the old Miami is going to show up from last year, but you're not going to be able to hang on to two games like we've seen the past two weeks where I think you'll have some slip-ups and, and you're going to see um, the same performances, but a different outcome as the past two weeks. Because we, we haven't seen convincing performances, but they, they, they've come out with Ws. I think we're going to see the same performances the next five games. It's just whether or not they're able to, to come away with those wins. I do think, I, I, to be on the safe side, I think they do slip up two or three more times. And, and at that point, if they're 8-3, and three, is it a good season in your eyes? Is 8-3 and three satisfactory? I, I think that's a, that's a two-part question. Um, in terms of record, absolutely right. I, I think every single Canes fan would have at least been okay with eight and three. I know some had higher expectations. Um, some just didn't know what to think going into the season, right? Especially after what we saw last season. The other side of that coin is how did they get to eight and three? Has it were, were they just messy games all the way through? Nothing convincing, really. I, I think you'll have some people. Who will say, you know what, this season's been weird. We'll take any win we can get. But I think you'll also have some some people, and, and maybe I'll I'll fall a little more on that side. It's how did you get to eight and, eight and three? Was it it was it a an eight and three that could have easily been, um, you know, seven and four or six and and six and five? If that's the case, I I don't know how I would feel. Well, I, I would say this: every game that they've won, I don't want to say they won it convincingly, but it wasn't. I didn't. I didn't leave that game feeling like, oh, they they shouldn't have won that game. Like they beat Virginia, they were up nineteen to seven. They gave up a late touchdown. They should have beaten them. Uh, Pittsburgh, it was the same deal. It was twenty-one to sixteen in the third quarter. Miami made the plays late to win the game, like in the fourth quarter. They they they've earned that. Uh, certainly, FSU, Louisville, they were ahead you know, with, with, with leads, UAB, they took care of business. The only game where they were completely outmatched was Clemson. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if they play a tight fourth quarter game against a North Carolina and against a Virginia Tech and they lose by a touchdown or a field goal or there's just one play that makes the difference, I still think it's progress. And I still think that that you're sitting here feeling good. But you're right. I think if they get blown out in those games – and they look overmatched, and there's a lot of the same mistakes. You know, the way the offensive line uh, takes a step back over the second half, or uh, the defense, you know, on run defense, you really get exposed with what's going on at linebacker. Um, I think if those are becoming issues, and, and 
you end the season not feeling good about the way the team played over the second half, then yeah, you're, it, it's not going to, even with the record, even with the number, I can agree with you on that, uh, in that regard. I, I will, I guess I'll end, I'll end that thought on this. I will take performances over record for this season, right? Cause I, I think this season was all about progress. Get it, getting as far away from last season as possible, right? Get, you, you don't want it to look anything like last season. And I, I, I would take performances over record. I, I want to see progress. I want to, you know, I, I would take a 45 to 40 loss against North Carolina if the offensive line played really well. The run game, we could run the ball when it, whenever uh, we wanted to. Uh, receivers were getting open. It's just either the defense, you know, did, didn't step up or, or say North Carolina's offense was just, you know, too good. I, I want to see good performances knowing that there is progress over an, an ugly win. But with that said, ugly wins do mean something because it shows, you know, you're mentally stronger than last year. So I, I'm trying to play both sides here because I, I, I do think there's not a, a cut and dry answer, uh, like a yes or a no. It's not black and white. I think it all depends on how they look doing it. And yes, of course, record matters, but I would take performance and how they look doing it over wins and losses. Completely agree. Mike, I, I think we should wrap it up here. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I know this bye week, uh, you know, we're, we're, no Canes football, so everybody will be watching the others play this week, uh, seeing how, how everybody else in the ACC spans out. But listen, they're ranked number 12 right now. They're 5-1. and one. They're going to go in, I think, to the NC State game as favorites coming out of the bye week. So I think as long as Manny Diaz and company win the games that they're supposed to win, and and continue to progress. I think at the end of the season, most Hurricanes fans will be happy. Not all of them, certainly not Mike. He, he, he's always gonna want, he's always gonna want them to, to win more. But uh, I think uh, we always have to remember in the back of our minds that that this is a long process and not a short one. You don't just turn around and become Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson overnight. So. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Wide Right. Be sure to check in with us next week as we prepare for the NC State Wolfpack. Manny, Raul from Hialeah, baby. Hey, hey, calling in uh, today a little a little disheartening with the game of Saturday. Uh, to be quite honest, Manny, the way we started off that game, to side with the quick bombazo to win Mallory, he mossing people down the sideline. Uh, my heart leaped down right away, 30 seconds. I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a blowout, baby. We're going to kill this guy. We're going to kill the Cavaliers. But as beautiful as he started out for the offense of the Miami Hurricanes, which was, he started off kind of looking like Selma Hayek in the movie Dos Kildong. Uh, but it just turned out to have an ugly game, man. It turned out to be not Selma Hayek. But uh, the guy is slow from the movie Goonies. Hey, you guys! Ese tipo, you know what I'm talking about? It was U-G-L-Y, and they had no alibi. It was ugly, man. Okay, the, también the defense, they, they're giving up a lot of yardage and you know, not a lot of points, but uh, money, they, they look kind of soft like Charles, man. A little soft like Charles. I wanted to keep my butt with them, man. Okay, uh, y también, the, the game was a lot closer than it looked at the end because uh, at Blake, I don't know what he was doing there at the end. Just completely left this guy alone. He almost screwed the push for the game, money. Tremendo cagation, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it was very disappointing, money. He probably the Eric King. The offensive line, he's getting his sack time after time after time, like a sack of potatoes, man. Next time I go to Seattle, I'm expecting to see the Eric King on sale for $3.99 next to the, the, the other vegetables in Seattle, next to the Malanga. 
next to the the the, the, uh, the yuca, all the other stuff there that I buy at the Serrano spot. Hey, well, there, there is one good thing about the game, money. And my partner put on the battery, the puso la pila, and it came out. He had 170 yards receiving. He was catching everything they threw at him. He was like a like a this guy, somebody, the bubble boy in that movie. Okay, he had no immune system. He was like the bubble boy if they let him out and threw him out to the street right now. He catch COVID-19, 20, 35, and 36. Okay, that's what Mike Hardy was doing. But at the end of the day, Mike Hardy wants to scoot, yeah, but it's also a little bit kind of weird. It's kind of like when you find out at the end of uh, that movie, Return of the Jedi, that, that Luke and Leia were twins, and Luke gave her a little kiss. They don't like the mat ese. And then you try to ignore it, to sorry, because you like the movie, you like Luke Skywalker, you like Leia, pero they still brother and sister, man. They still twins. Y se dieron tremendo mate. Like they kiss each other. What is that? So if I want is good money, I prefer to be five and one than one and five. But I'm not fun, man. Not fun.